everybody and welcome to Cabaret Secrets. My name is Gary Williams and this week the edition is dedicated to working with a director. I get a lot of questions from cabaret artists about this. Do they need a director? What can a director do for their show and what does a director actually do? Well, I'm thrilled to be joined by a man with all the answers. He's directed numerous productions for television and for the stage, including Jesus Christ Superstar, The Rocky Horror Show, and for many years, The Night of a Thousand Voices at London's Royal Albert Hall. Hugh Aldridge, welcome to Cabaret Secrets. Hello, Gary. Hello, everyone. Nice to speak to you. You're actually multitasking, making a cup of tea whilst doing an interview. I'm impressed already. Well, as a director, you have to do everything, <laughs> including the washing up. For a man who's been as busy as you, I mean, a quick glance at your Wikipedia, you've done a lot of stuff. How do you manage to keep looking so uh, calm and, and well? Ah, well, it's the call the swan technique. You sort of try and look and sleek, elegant and calm on top and underneath you're paddling like fuck. That's, that's something I'm going to try and adopt in my shows. <laughs> it's a good technique. The, the work that I can see that you've done is, is, is often big, grand productions. Have you had much experience in smaller, more modest cabaret-style productions? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things of a jobbing director is that if you do a big show and you're lucky enough to work with a very glitzy cast, if they like you, they will often say, please, will you direct my cabaret? So I've done an awful lot of one-person shows, and I've done a lot of shows where people are singing material of a particular composer they like or a performer. So, I mean, as a jobbing director, part of your task is to follow your book and to put together a template of what is going to entertain an audience. The most important thing for any cabaret artist, for any performer, is the material. And one of the things that musical theatre artists know, because they have to do it at audition, is to sing story songs. In other words, a song which has got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, I'm thinking like The Rose, Amanda McBroom. Um, that is a story song which has a beginning and then it goes to the end. I'm thinking of um, that song, Mary Yeston's song, Nine. Mm. A cabaret is an audition, and an audition is a cabaret. You have to get the audience's attention very quickly, and you have to take them on a journey. In a cabaret which lasts 45, 50, 90, 120 minutes, you have to have a beginning and a middle and an end. You can't just throw up 12 songs in the air and perform them. You have to shape it. When do you want the audience to clap? As a director, and you said in your introduction, does a cabaret artist need a director? Sometimes they don't. It's the audience who need directing. Um, what I did for Love from Chorus Line is a perfect audition song, therefore it's a perfect cabaret song. I think anybody can be a cabaret performer, providing they realise what cabaret is. The real secret of a good cabaret performer is making the material shine rather than making themselves shine. A musical theatre person often is trained to make themselves shine mm. at sometimes the, the damage of the material. Mm. Cabaret is about the material and making the material shine because if that shines, then the person shines. If someone comes on and is all eyes and teeth and doesn't engage the audience, you won't have a good cabaret. And people walk out and they'll go and get a drink and they'll come back. It's a way of spending an hour. It's like a lukewarm bath. You don't mind being there. You'd rather not be there. 
But what you want to do is you want to make them laugh because then you can make them cry. You want to make them cry because then you can really make them laugh. And if you take an audience on an emotional journey, if you move them, if you engage their brain, you'll be far better than if you just do eyes and teeth and, you know... The great Alan J. Lerner, he said that he wrote songs for himself and he prayed to God that other people liked them as well. Yeah, that's right. And that is the secret. You have got to sing the songs that you want to sing, which you enjoy singing, and then hope to God that somebody else likes listening to them too. You are making a distinction between a cabaret artist and a musical theatre artist. And I would, with huge respect to one of the most distinguished cabaret artists this country has produced, i.e. you, would say there is no difference. There are only good performers and bad performers. My Fair Lady, um, there's a soliloquy called I Could Have Danced All Night. What does soliloquy mean? Not being patronising, it's solo loqui, alone I speak, which is Latin, but in fact it isn't. A soliloquy is a duet between the person on stage and the audience. Mm. And that is the same as cabaret. Mm. I Could Have Danced All Night is quite interesting. Um, Liz Robertson, who is married to Alan J. Lerner, would sing I Could Have Danced All Night. And I would watch that show when we did it at Haymarket Leicester, when Alan J. Lerner took over and did it in the West End. Night after night after night, I would go and stand at the back to watch Liz sing that song because she had a way of singing it which completely broke the audience's heart. It was extraordinary to watch this young performer, like a seasoned Broadway performer, manipulating the audience. Now that is what I would call a cabaret performance. She completely engaged with that audience. A moment where the character could reveal their inner soul mm. to the audience. Mm. And that's what cabaret is. Mm. Mm. It's where you're unpeeling an onion mm. and you are revealing more mm. and more and more about yourself. Mm. The difference, of course, for me, between theatre and cabaret is that in musical theatre, you are engaging maybe 2,000 people. In cabaret, the maximum is 200. Mm, mm. It is a much more intimate art form. Uh, having seen two of your shows in Barbados recently, you made a point of telling stories which were relevant to you, which nobody else could tell. And I think that's very important, particularly if the person giving the cabaret, I've done Tim Rice's cabaret quite a lot, um, there is something magical about the person who wrote a song telling how that song came to be written right, yeah. or telling a personal moment, just like you did. And you can't do that, of course, in a show. Let's go through the practical steps and a theme. Is the, one of the first or what? The first is who's going to come and see you. Oh. I mean, you've got to think of the audience. Who is Don't going to come... Ourselves? No. No. I, 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 with my producer's hat on, if somebody comes to me who I know nothing about, the first question I will say to them, who is going to come to this cabaret evening? Who is your audience going to be? If they say it's going to be my Auntie Maureen and her friends, you will write a show for them. Mm. 
um, if they say, I don't know, I'd really like to take it to the Crazy Cox and I'd like to do a show there, you say, okay. Now, the Crazy Cox is a sophisticated audience. They are used to seeing, you're, you're doing that can call this. I mean, they're used to all kinds of different performers there. Why are they going to come and see Mavis Clunk in Cabaret? Mm. And you've got to think carefully. So my first advice would be, who is the audience? And based on once you've decided, so let's say, uh, for argument's sake, it's going to be the crazy cock, so we know who our audience is going to be, yeah. then, okay, we're going to start putting the show together. What, what are the steps? Well, if it were you, mm. if it were you, I would say, um, I would theme it. I would theme it. Um, with someone like you who is known to sing particular styles and standards, I might say, why don't we do something called the unseen Gary? Mm. In other words, getting you to sing a collection of songs written for women. Mm. Or something whereby people go, that was just extraordinary. I never expected that. Mm. Um, we know you do the leading 50s sound songs. Mm -hmm. um, you can always do one of those, not trying to change mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. But you might say, what about Lennon McCartney? And then sing them in the style of the 50s. Because mm -hmm. the Lennon and McCartney songs are simply sensational. Mm -hmm. um, and their great songs are up there with all the other great songs that have been written. What's the next step? Obviously read the book, because if you look at Gary Williams' um, page, back pages, there it's all laid out how to do your cabaretry. So, I mean, I think the template that you have put forward um, and the various ones you've selected, I think is absolutely... I don't think I actually want to tell you my template, because otherwise people will use it. But very simply, I will say one thing. You can play football by kicking a pillow up and down a street. It's a better game if you have a ball. It's an even better game if you have goalposts either end. And it's the best game of all if you have white lines. If you find how to make your football pitch, hang on to it. Because that template, and don't tell anybody who's listening to this program, but I have done the same template in every show that I've done mm. since 1984. Mm. Something that, that works for me a lot is structuring the show and having little chunks, little sections, segments in the show. So rather than me thinking, rather than just having 12 or 14 individual standalone numbers, that actually that there's, there's always a thread, something, there's, there's a follow through. Well, it's very interesting you say that because when I did the Sondheim show in New York, I went to Mr. Sondheim and I said, I want you to be happy with this show. Um, I'm celebrating your music, not your lyrics, your music. And he said, I will let you know if I am unhappy. I said, well, of course, that's why, you know. <laughs> he thought I was very Lloyd Webber and he was very nervous that I was doing his show. And I gave him my running order and the fourth, fifth and sixth song, the fourth one was Losing My Mind. Mm -hmm. The fifth one was Not While I'm Around, and the sixth one was Send in the Clowns. And he said, Hugh, <laughs> these normally close my show. And I said, yeah, 
but I'm going to make this as a medley. I'm calling this the Sondheim Trilogy. And he looked at me and he said, do you not, I said, do you not approve? And he said, it's very unusual. And I say, well, I want, I want to get your big songs out of the way because there is so much more to celebrate. Mm. And he looked at me as if I was, you know, pulling his leg. And I said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow I'm going to be rehearsing it at two o'clock. Why don't you come in and see it? And if you don't like it, we'll take it out. I will, he said. So at 12 o'clock, I got in to see the three very distinguished people who were doing it, Liz Calloway and people, and I said, just to let you know, Mr. Sondheim is coming in. I want to tell you how we're doing this. Now, what I had not told Stephen Sondheim was that I had written little piano links to link the two together. And in Sending the Clowns, I had all three singers singing, answering, so isn't it rich? And the other two go, mm -hmm. isn't it rich? Are we a pair? They go, are we a pair? You would another in three-part harmony, and ending up with them maybe next year with the two younger people going ah, and this was not written by Mr. Sondheim, but I thought well if he's not going to like it, let's know straight away, so yeah. we'll do something else. So we did it once, and it was about twelve forty-five because as you know all Americans sight read, and. I thought, right, we got an hour to polish this, when there was a shadow behind the door and the stage manager went and opened it and there was Stephen Sondheim. And I thought, oh shit. Yes. I mean, major. And so I introduced them, he knew most of them, and the pianist, and I sat down four feet behind him so I could watch him without him knowing that I was watching him. And off we went. And so we got to the end of um, losing my mind, or am I losing my mind? Piano, dee ba da da, dee ba da da, ba 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 bum, and nothing's going to harm you, not while I'm around. And I got them to sing to each other, so they were like a mini play, and then they all turned round, and they moved round the stage, and on came um, Cleo Lane to sing uh, uh, "Send in the Clouds." Isn't it rich? Are we a pet? And then the bit where they all joined in, and I put an R chord on to get applause. Well, maybe next year. Ah. And the piano finished, and there was silence. The piano shut the music, and there was silence, and the actors froze. And I looked at Sondheim, and he was in floods of tears. Really? He was bawling his eyes out like a baby. We never referred to it again, but one of the highlights of my life was when he said, uh, Hugh, when you do the Sondheim Trilogy, will you be doing this, will you be doing that? And he began calling it the Sondheim Trilogy. And that is the Gary Williams method of doing cabaret. Put three songs together, get one huge applause, and if anybody wants to listen to the Sondheim Tonight CD, they can hear exactly that. And I didn't produce that. John Yap produced that CD. It's a very good CD. Mm. But if you listen to the applause, which he didn't edit, I would have edited. I think applause on a live album is boring. Mm. 
Um, but the applause just goes on and on and on and on and on. I mean, which was great if you were there, but it's very boring to listen to. Yeah. Didn't I see, didn't I see this? In, did you do this in the, the Night of a Thousand uh, oh, Voices yes, with Alex Bourne? Yes, I did. I, I mean, it's the whole, you're telling me about it now, and it's, it's ringing yes, it, it was a real highlight yes. in, the, in that show. And talking about cabaret and talking about templates, when you saw that version with Alex Bourne, Send in the Clowns was sung by the person the song was originally written for, who turned out to be a gentleman by the name of Len Carrier. Mm, mm, mm. So Great. one was able to do a cabaret link of Len talking about, we're now going to have a Sondheim trilogy, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're going to have a song which was written for me. And he told <laughs> the story of how it came to be written, so the audience were excited to hear it. Mm. And then a man singing a song which is normally sung by a woman, mm. your ear is so attuned mm. and sharpened. Mm. You just, it's so unusual. And I have to say that when Len Cariou sung it, because he is the most magnificent Shakespearean actor, mm. um, first and foremost, he is an actor, not a singer. Mm. But when he sang it in the rehearsal room, I don't think I've ever seen it performed. I mean, I've seen Judy, I did it with Judy Dench, I've done it with all kinds of people. Mm. But, and Judy was fantastic, but, but different experience. Mm. But when Len Cariou sung it, it was absolutely extraordinary. And I think that is a tip that I would give to people who are interested in cabaret. Don't take the repertoire only of songs written for your sex. Mm a lot of interesting material can be mined singing songs that weren't written for you. Uh, what about chat? That seems to be one of the biggest challenges. Uh, you know, not only how to do it and do it convincingly, but where to put it and not to do too much. Um, I think when people say to me, will you direct my show? That is what they mean. Will I direct their chat? <laughs> they know how to do the songs, yes, yes. but very, very, very few people know how to do the chat. Yeah. Again, there is no hard and fast rule. Um, I think Janie D, whose cabaret I did, um, I think is one of the best at chat. Mm. Um, she is fearless and her stories are wonderful. Mm. Um, John Standing, who I don't think would mind me saying he's not the Luciano Pavarotti of mm. Chelsea, um, but has got fantastic fantastic chat. If you have got a sublime singer, um, I am a huge fan of Jessie Buckley and I've done shows with her. Um, Jessie sings, although she's in her very early 20s, as if she was a 55-year-old, blousy American diva. Mm. She doesn't need to talk. Mm. Mm. Because when she sings, it is so sublime. All she needs say, I've always loved Ella Fitzgerald, and here is one of her songs. Do you think everybody can do uh, cabaret? Absolutely I mean, not. No. No, 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 absolutely not. No. I mean, it's like saying, can everybody teach? No. What is it that they're missing? Um, it's very simple, um, and this is very wanky, but it's love. And it's love of other people rather than love of self. Mm. And mm. very often, People who are talented think, I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to have a wonderful time. Well, they probably do, but the audience don't. Mm. A true cabaret artist 
is actually giving a bit of themselves to the audience. It's their need to be loved, actually, that they're trying to, you know, give everything they've got to everybody in the room well, because they want to get it back. Well, whatever the reason is, is a secret between you and God. Mm. But I think that, I mean, we, well, I certainly know wonderful performers who should not do cabaret mm. because they are so obsessed with self and self-image. Mm. The songs don't, nothing is done well yeah. except their performance. Yeah. They may their hair, man yeah. or woman could look fantastic, makeup fantastic, all everything in tune. But you're not invited in. It's the difference between cinema and theatre. In theatre, whatever shows I do, I always try and get an audience response within the first twenty seconds, whether it be a laugh or a fright. If I'm doing a ghost story, mm. I will give you know I will give the audience a jump within yeah. 20 seconds, just to remind them the genre. And I solicit applause. Now in cinema, you don't clap as a rule; you just sit and let it wash over you. Yeah. And that's the difference between cinema and theatre. In theatre, we demand that the audience perform as well. Cinema, we demand that they don't. Yeah, yeah, Please yeah. shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the most important thing is nobody is owed a living. If you go back to medieval and morality plays, a group of players would turn up on a cart, and if people liked the play, people would say, Come back to our barn, stay the night, we'll give you some food. We live in an age of grants where people are paid either by governments or by this or by that. Um, and so people forget that in our industry we have to entertain. And so I think that's really important to remember. Remember who your audience is more than anything else. We are there as their servant and not the other way around. I always tell Actors. I mean, when I did Smokey Joe's Cafe, which is a kind of cabaret of Libra and Stoller, um, I would say, remember that there will be a woman who has saved up her pension for six weeks to come to this show. And you have to give that person as much as to, you know, somebody who's paid zillions of pounds. Um, the audience is why we do this. It is fantastic if we love what we're doing as well. That is a bonus. But if you think, how am I going to entertain this audience? What would they like? And start from that way round rather than the other way round, I think you'll have a happier time. Thank you for listening to this Cabaret Secrets podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, please visit cabaretsecrets.com where you'll also find details of the Cabaret Secrets book, an indispensable guide on how to create your own show, travel the world, and get paid to do what you love. <laughs>